Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's review of Marvel Incoming number one. This is Marvel's 2019 year-end spectacular, simultaneously summarizing much of the publisher's 2019 while building suspense for storylines and comics to come in 2020. What does it mean for the Marvel Universe of 2020 and what do you need to know to understand how we got here? I'm your host, Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com, where you can find all sorts of Marvel Universe reading orders in addition to comic book analysis and commentary. Today, again, we'll be talking about Marvel Incoming number one. This is a spoiler potential uh, review, so if you are worried about spoilers for Incoming or some of the stories it references in the 2019 comics that it refers to, I would say, uh, you know, check on out. What I'm going to answer today, what comics are the most important to have read prior to Incoming Number 1? What Incoming Number 1 teases for Marvel's 2020 across everything from Hickman's X-Men to a line-wide event called Empire to perhaps the death of teen heroes Do we, are we going to see? And how is Incoming Number 1 the best idea Marvel's had in years and fulfills the mispromise of Marvel Comics Number 1000? Big picture. Incoming number one could just as easily be called Marvel Universe 2019 number one, and I'd argue that's exactly what it should be called, and that there should be one of these every year to onboard new readers. The issue bounces between Marvel's top creators contributing short stories for the characters or teams they write at Marvel. So you have Kelly Thompson writing Jessica Jones and Captain Marvel, Chip Zdarsky writing Daredevil, Jonathan Hickman reuniting with Arby Silva and Marty Gracia for Powers of X, style Mr. Sinister Story, and so on. Impressively, these short stories all intertwine, ultimately connecting to tell one murder mystery. Now, there was some hand-wringing, myself included, over a teaser promo Marvel released for this issue which suggested the murder mystery might be an identity crisis or Heroes in Crisis-style death of a known character over on the DC side. Any comic book event that is strongly centered around which character that you love will die in this day and age sends off a lot of warning bells. Fortunately, the brilliant Al Ewing is in charge of the mystery's framing, and he continues his work for Marvel Comics number 1000, developing the masked raider into a centerpiece of the Marvel Universe fabric. The murder the raider uncovers is a locked room mystery of an unknown player, and without the usual untimely death of a beloved figure, it's easier to just enjoy the suspense of the hunt. The truly impressive trick to incoming number one is that the murder mystery is used as pretense to bounce around every corner of the Marvel Universe, and it actually makes sense. We get a feel for what's been happening in a wide variety of titles this year in both ways large, the uh, Doc Samson and Jill Fixit interview very broadly summarizing Immortal Hulk, and small, Teeny Howard continuing her story of Billy and Teddy's romance from Death's Head for issue mini that came out later in the year. It's a remarkably smart way to deliver a sampler platter issue, something Marvel has struggled with over the course of this decade. It's no secret that genuine on-ramps into Marvel Comics are one of the publisher's biggest struggles. There's a reason Comic Book Herald's guides on where to start reading Marvel books are perpetually among my site's most popular. This is the closest I've seen Marvel come to an approach I've been recommending for years, though, with an authentic state-of-the-universe address that functions on its own as a relatively compelling story. For my money, the two biggest criticisms against incoming number one are as follows. First, $9.99 is a terrible price point for your new reader catch-up initiative. I get why Marvel prices this comic 60% higher than their standard release. There's a ton of story in 80-plus pages and creative talent on display. But just once, I'd like to see Marvel bet on themselves with an excessively affordable on-ramp. The immediate comparison that comes to mind is DC's 25-cent free comic book day teaser, where the publisher teased out upcoming initiatives like the, well, now ill-fated Batman and Catwoman wedding. 
I love the we'll give this one away approach, but at most even saying it's $3.99 just like our other books but with way more in it would feel like a win. The other criticism to me is that incoming number one is quite effective at building toward what's coming in 2020, but doesn't do a ton to really build your knowledge of what's come before or even where you can find that information. Sure, Electro training Daredevil in his Netflix season one duds or Nova referencing Annihilation Scourge makes sense to me, but I've read all those comics throughout 2019. For those who have not, there's a real here's the situation, let's roll vibe that can be extremely challenging for a lot of new readers. With that in mind, here's a look at the comics I'd say are most important to have read prior to incoming number one. I'll note here that some of the books that are teased, for example, Daredevil and Immortal Hulk, are among my favorites of 2019 and are hearty recommendations, but I feel like it's easier for new readers to pick up what's going on without getting really tripped up, or at the very least, it's easier to say, wait, what's going on in Hulk, and just go back and read all of Immortal Hulk. Seriously, you should do that. Go read all of Immortal Hulk if you haven't already. Okay, in the meantime, Marvel Comics 1000 and... Oddly, the one page that Al Ewing wrote in Marvel Comics 1001 are fairly relevant here. Again, the framing device written by Ewing is a reference to the Golden Age use of the Masked Raider, and we also get Ewing here throwing back to his Ultimates run that began in 2016, was one of my favorites of those years, and uh, bringing in Dr. Adam Brashear, okay? If these can, so this is probably the most obscure characters you're going to find, in incoming number one, you have Dr. Adam Brashear, the former Blue Marvel, and then you have him working with Jimmy Woo and Night Thrasher as the new three X's. If all of this is just complete gibberish to you, this is Ewing really playing deep with like some Golden Age, some 40s, and then uh, 50s with Jimmy Woo, and then like 90s Marvel continuity, okay? So Captain Marvel, the Carol Danvers, a more familiar character, asks Adam Brashear, they've, they've worked together previously in the Ultimates, you know, is this your version of the Illuminati, sort of a stealth underground Marvel organization? Uh, Dr. Brashear actually refers to them more as like a stealth off-the-grid Avengers, which sort of seems like semantics. I mean, it feels to me like they are working similarly to what we saw previously with the Ultimates. But if you really want to understand what is going on with the idea of, of even bringing Jimmy Woo and who are the three X's and the Master Raider in particular, again, the Al Ewing written new bits from Marvel Comics 1000 are going to get you up to speed the most effectively. In Kelly Thompson's writing, you have Jessica Jones coming to Captain Marvel to bring the mystery to her doorstep. And, of course, she goes to Captain Marvel not only because they're friends, but because there are some Kree-based, uh, you know, a Halastar in the sort of cryptic cyber message that Jessica Jones uncovers in the locker room mystery. There's a lot of reference to Star in these pages, which is a part of Thompson's ongoing run in Captain Marvel. Star appeared on the scene as sort of a newer, younger, um, almost replicate of what Captain Marvel used to be, seemingly more powerful for a time. So you can go back to early Captain Marvel from the Thompson run, which began in, I think it actually started in 2019. It's it's very recent. It's only 14 issues deep to catch up on what they're talking about there. It's actually somewhat interesting to me that Carol takes Jess's notes to the Avengers, given her own current ongoing is in a story called The Last Avenger, where Carol has recently been roped into fighting the likes of Thor and Tony Stark. So continuity-wise, it feels like this probably takes place between um, Captain Marvel number, I think it would be 11, and in 12, um, but of course, this is all trying to get you to read the current ongoing Last Avenger story in Captain Marvel's own book. 
All right, this is a big one. So again, spoilers away. Annihilation Scourge is referenced heavily in the page where Night Thrasher contacts Nova. Now, Night Thrasher and Nova have a history together. They were uh, kind of original new warriors back in the early 1990s run. That's why they know each other. But here we have uh, Richard Ryder actually explaining to Night Thrasher sort of what the heck has been going on in his life. Frankly, this is over a decade in the making, all of the continuity he's talking about here. Um, Annihilation Scourge is an update on the, what is it now, 2006-2007 Marvel Comics event Annihilation. One of my favorite Marvel events of all time. Definitely one of the best cosmic events in modern Marvel canon if you haven't read Marvel Annihilation. It's highly recommended. I would actually say go check out Comic Book Herald's Marvel Cosmic, modern Marvel Cosmic reading order, and that'll set the stage up to Annihilation and beyond. But that'll give you the Nova backstory, the long and short of which is he's been uh, pretty out of it, (laughs) to say the least, for most of the decade. Annihilation Scourge brings him back, as he says here, Bleep and Annihilus of all people brought me back to life after the century of all people invaded the negative zone. So Annihilation Scourge is a really weird mini event. Uh, Weird in the sense that Marvel just kind of tossed out two mini events. They did this in Marvel 2099 in December 2019. So these aren't their big, uh, you know, months long productions. These are kind of just quick hitters. Um, As far as cosmic developments go, I mean, the century going to the negative zone and trying to take it over is interesting to me. Uh, But again, if you are a huge cosmic fan i would say read annihilation scourge if you are sort of just uh on the fence about reading these i would say go read the original annihilation first or frankly uh, again before you go to scourge all right let's talk quickly about atlas this is the greg pock written run spinning out of war of the realms the agent of atlas are quite different and frequently not characters we know. So this is a team started, uh, kind of put together by Jimmy Woo. He's been frequently associated with Agent of Atlas throughout Marvel history. This team is totally different. You've got Shang-Chi involved. you got Ares, God of War, some more familiar Marvel characters. But then you also have a ton of new uh, global characters from Asian regions that are totally new to Marvel continuity. So if you want to know what's going on with those characters, again, they debuted in War of the Realms in uh, some of the less essential tie-ins in that event. So I don't know that I'd super recommend running back there aside from the fact that those characters debut in a lot of cases, the new ones do at least, but otherwise there is an ongoing Agents of Atlas that'll get you caught up to speed with those characters. For my money right now, they're pretty much on the fringes of the Marvel Universe, although at the end of this, there's a tease that they're going to be battling Namor, which uh, could bring them to the forefront. All right, here's a big one. House of X, Powers of Ten, Mr. Sinister Tease, the story written by Jonathan Hickman uh, with art by Arby Silva and Marty Gracia. A few details I love here. First, we get a quick reference to two Omega-level mutants I've been wondering about, with Sinister referencing both Legion and Mr. M mysteriously off the board. We haven't seen them in the Dawn of X or in the House of X Powers of Ten uh, event so far, so it's interesting to see him say they are officially not just chilling on Krakoa, the island nation of the mutants. And then we get a final panel teasing the upcoming X-Men Fantastic Four mini by Chip Zdarsky and Terry Dodson. This is one of the Dawn of X Wave 2 series I'm most excited about, 
and Sinister's involvement and disturbing interest in young Sweet Franklin only makes it more compelling. Uh, so this whole Sinister sequence, again, we really haven't seen Hickman touch the character since Powers of Ten and this just like completely glam, fabulous version of the character that he's writing, um, you know, really spinning off the heels of Karen Gillan's work in Uncanny X-Men in 2011. But it's great to see him back at the character and it's great to see him sort of just uh, gallivanting about but but playing with the idea of collecting Omega-level mutants, Franklin kind of being the last chess piece that Sinister's looking to grab. Again, if you want to understand more about what he's doing and Krakoa and all that, read House of X and Powers 10. Highly, highly recommend it. My favorite Marvel Comics of the year. All right. That brings us to kind of a weird one. The reference to Hotel Inferno here, Mephisto being on Earth, Ghost Rider talking about being the king of hell. Uh, there's a whole kind of sequence of continuity that'll explain this, starting back in 2017's Damnation event. This is when Doctor Strange brought Las Vegas back to life, basically all of it, after the events of Secret Empire. Uh, that led to demon infestation and Mephisto running a casino in Las Vegas. There have since been stories in the pages of both Avengers and the newly launched 2019 Ghost Rider written by Ed Brisson, where Johnny Blaze is the king of hell now, and Mephisto is trying to reclaim his throne. So that is, in a nutshell, what is going on here. All of it's trying to tease uh, and get you to read the new Ghost Rider. So if you're like, when did Johnny become King of Hell? That all stems back to 2017's Damnation. And again, that would be like the event crossover I would read to sort of set the stage for the current Ghost Rider run. Speaking of crossovers, there's the Venom tease here of Null, the King in Black. This can all be pretty easily explained by Venom and Absolute Carnage. I would highly, highly recommend checking out Comic Book Herald's either Venom reading order or actually probably even better than that would be to check out the Absolute Carnage reading order where I give you both the Venom issues that you need to understand what's going on in Absolute Carnage as well as the full event, the full 2019 event, which wrapped up very, very recently. All of that is going to explain who the heck is Null? Where is he coming from? How is Ryan Stegman's art always this really cool in the pages of Venom and beyond? This series is another one that is on my best of 2019 Marvel books. Highly recommended reading. Okay, so bringing us back to Incoming's main murder mystery. Apart from Ewing's work reaching back to Marvel's relatively untouched Golden Age, the most fascinating callback is the murder mystery leading our Marvel heroes to Rexor and Beldon, Skrull and Kree warriors previously seen, or first seen, as interplanetary monitors during the X-Men's Dark Phoenix saga, Uncanny X-Men number 137 to be specific, and later during another John Byrne story in Fantastic Four Annual number 18, a story that calls back to these characters and frequently gets overlooked. So I love that the the agents, the Kree and Skrull agents that are being used here are actual references to longtime characters in Marvel canon stemming from one of the biggest stories in Marvel history, the Dark Phoenix Saga. Now, of course, we don't know a ton about Raxor and Beldon beyond that, but what we learn in this issue is they were, as they say, working together, actually. Kree and Skrull working together. It's kind of unheard of. They're longtime enemies. And in this case, Beware the Trees, a Skrull is murdered before our hero's eyes by some sort of giant tree. This builds to the issue's biggest tease for next year, the April 2020 Empire, with Teddy of Young Avengers fame apparently taking Emperor Teddy status among an allied Kree and Skrull armada. For those less familiar with Teddy Altman and his time with the Young Avengers, his given name is actually Doric VIII, son of both Kree and Skrull 
royal heritage. I've seen some theories since this final reveal and sort of the build to Empire that Teddy might be leading an army of Korean Skrull warriors against the heroes of Earth. That seems really odd to me. <laughs> There's nothing in Teddy's history, especially his romance with, with Billy, um, Wiccan of the Young Avengers, that suggests he would want to conquer humanity. Nonetheless, he has finally here um, kind of given into something he's been resisting for a long time, which is this Kree and Skrull heritage of his, this alien heritage, rather than remaining Earthbound, which is where we've seen him most recently. So there's honestly not a ton that we know about Empire at this point in time, other than the apparent team-up between Kree and Skrull. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes in April 2020. The other somewhat major build is towards Outlawed. This is, as far as I can tell, a one-shot, at least initially, that will probably then build into the pages of Champions. It's going to be written by Eve Ewing, who has recently written uh, Ironheart series. And we have politicians saying... You know, at what point will we say kids are too young to be on the front lines of vigilantism and uh, basically saying the champions, our teenage hero team in the Marvel Universe, they should be outlawed. This is crazy. Now, this is not an unfamiliar idea in Marvel Comics. The idea of heroes being registered and, and held accountable, of course, goes back to, it, frankly, well beyond it, but most famously, 2006-2007 Civil War. Uh, but in this case, I actually think spinning it specifically to teenagers makes a ton of sense as an issue that people would talk about. It's one that I think you can debate pretty earnestly about whether it makes sense in Marvel Comics. And also, it puts kind of the, the ethos of Peter Parker, Teenage Spider-Man, onto all of our teenage heroes, which is to say, you know, kind of feared, kind of hated, and typically seen as breaking the law. It's a very effective approach for teenage heroes. The idea of the world is out to get you made somewhat literal through politics and through laws. I'm looking forward to this, and I'm curious to see what Eve Ewing is able to do with uh, a champion series that has not been among my favorites. All in all, Incoming is a fascinating idea and shockingly well executed. I really, really hope, and I've got the credits up here of all the creative talent that worked on their various um, various projects. I really hope this is an idea that Marvel continues, honestly. I would like to see one of these a year. Again, I don't know why they don't call it Marvel Universe number one, number two, etc., or just call it you know Marvel Universe 2019, because the idea of one again, fairly cohesive story that gets you a summary of what happened in the previous year and a little bit of tease of what's to come is a really, really nice way to get people into the Marvel Universe. So I was very pleasantly surprised with the effectiveness of Incoming Number 1. I would recommend checking it out. Um, again, that steep $9.99 price tag for a, one single comic. Again, it's 80 pages, so it's a lot. But th if that's too off-putting to you, I do understand. Otherwise, you've been listening to Comic Book Herald. I'm your host, Dave Busing. You can find all my writing and work at comicbookherald.com. And, of course, you can look for the Best Comics Ever podcast and My Marvelous Year podcast. If you like shows, if you like the YouTube channel, please consider liking and subscribing. And I look forward to talking more comics with you in the near future. As always, enjoy the comics. Enjoy the comics.